Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It's Pastor Paul. Obviously, it's cold outside because I have my bright yellow hoodie on. Make sure you don't miss me if you're if you're watching this live or, or after the fact. If you're doing the podcast, audio only, be thankful that you don't see the sort of Shekinah glory of, of coloring display emanating from me and my bald head this morning. But anyway, I, I digress. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the book of Romans. And this week, we have been doing a little excursion into Romans 13, really drilling down into practical application points to try to understand what does it mean to faithfully walk as a believer before the Lord as we engage the government, the civil authorities, the political process. And we have been receiving um, emails, questions from you and trying to to digest those. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to, to anything you missed from this previous week to see if I have covered a particular topic or, or question. And one of the persistent questions that continues to bubble up, and I want to return to it again, is this issue of conscience. What, what are we as Christians to do with the conscience? And let me go back to, to Romans 13. Let's read this passage again because Paul does slip something in there um, about the conscience. And, and one of you, and, and here's where we're going this morning, one of you specifically has a question. How do we relate our conscience to the Holy Spirit? How do those two things mesh or not mesh? How do we discern the difference? Let's go back to Romans 13. Listen to what Paul says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. There's that word. And Paul is saying, there's a lot of reasons to be obedient to the governing authorities and to live in right relationship. Number one, they've been given by God. Um, they're a God-ordained institution. Even when you have evil rulers occupying those positions, that is still, in a sense, God's man or woman for that hour. Paul says you also obey um, because you are giving an account to God. You're submitting your life to him as a, as, a, as a fragrant aroma, as a living sacrifice. And because this is God's man or woman, then how you interrelate with them, engage them, that, that's, that's a spiritual act of worship. But he mentions a third reason here, and he said, due to conscience. An interesting thing about the conscience is that no one knows someone else's conscience implicitly. We can't look at someone and know what their convictions or non-convictions are. They have to tell us or they have to act upon them. 
Well, in appealing to this idea of conscience, Paul is saying that there is something deeply personal that happens within each person that we are responsible for and accountable to before God, and no one else may know about that except you and God. So paying your taxes. And again, Paul makes it very clear that's not an issue of purely conscience. It's, it is an issue of conscience, but it's an explicit command for Scripture. He says, pay your taxes. But if you don't pay your taxes or cheat on your taxes, that's something that is on your conscience that only you and God know about unless you were to tell somebody else. And so the, Paul is really honing in on this personal dimension. And so once again, what are we to do with a conscience? Now, let me use a comparison between what we call general revelation and special revelation to understand the relationship of the conscience to the Holy Spirit. So general revelation, we learn from Romans 1, are those truths, those attributes of God that he has revealed about himself to everyone, Christian and non-Christian alike. And part of the way that he has made us aware of his general revelation that there is a God is, in fact, that he's given us a conscience. So everybody has a conscience, Christian or non-Christian. Everybody has an innate understanding of God, of right and wrong. Um, and this is part of God's general revelation or common grace given to all people. But Paul says something interesting. He says, that's not enough. Okay, Not only do we need general revelation, but we need special revelation in order to live rightly before God. So in other words, there are certain things general revelation tells us in our conscience, but there's other things general revelation in our conscience doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us about the plan of salvation. It doesn't tell us about the gospel. We have to have the word of God. And so ultimately, we have to say that while general revelation and the conscience are necessary, they're not sufficient. We, we need more. And this is why, um, and again, this is what we call special revelation and applied to the Holy Spirit, I mean, applied to the Christian, the way we receive special revelation or the word of God, the way it becomes the, it is already is the word of God, but the way it becomes alive and actualized in us is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's an important thing to remember, because if we go back to the days of COVID, remember Oftentimes, people appealed to conscience for everything. Um, and I'm not going to get into all these issues right now, but I just I want to remind us that when the government said this or this, people would often say, well, that violates my conscience, or it's against my conscience to do X, Y, and Z, or to not do X, Y, and Z. This violates my conscience. That violates my conscience. And it sort of become, became, for some, a tagline to sort of the kind of it's it's the fallback position to say if i don't want to do something or the government is asking me to do something i don't like it's not my personal preference i'm going to appeal to conscience now some in some of those instances that was good and right and true but in order for the christian to rightly use their conscience there's several preconditions right the conscience cannot operate on its own. The conscience can be seared. The, the conscience can be defiled. The conscience can be deceived. And so obviously for Christians, our conscience ultimately has to be governed by the word of God. 
there has to be a sense and appeal that that we make. There has to be a standard bearer that that sort of guides and directs our conscience because sometimes our conscience can be wrong. Sometimes our conscience can be deceived. Sometimes we might not have a conscience, okay, about something that the scripture tells us to have a conscience about. And so, so one, we have to have the word of God. But as believers, we also have to have, <clears throat> excuse me, the ongoing illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, there it's possible to be a Christian, to be regenerated, to have the Holy Spirit, to have the word of God, but not actually be appropriating that word in our lives in a holy, righteous uh, way. We might be walking in the flesh. Doesn't mean that the Spirit's not in us, but maybe we're grieving the Spirit. Maybe we're not reading our Bible. Maybe we're not praying. We're not walking in fellowship with other believers. We are sort of this independent contractor. But yet we're over here appealing to our decisions to say, but my conscience is clear. I can do this or I don't have to do that. When in reality, um, the Holy Spirit may not be the one illuminating our path there. It may be ourselves, our flesh, our own sin. So number one, we have to have the word of God. Number two, we have to have the ongoing experience and reality of walking in the spirit, appropriating his power, reading his word, praying uh, for his illumination. But I think a third thing is also important, and it's something that Paul, it's implicit in everything Paul is saying here. Interestingly, Paul never once uses, I don't think, in this passage, okay, um, or that, 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 that wouldn't be accurate, what I was about to say, what Paul, remember, Paul is addressing the church. Paul is not merely addressing individual Christians. He is addressing a body of believers. And so when he's commanding them to obey the government, when he's commanding them to submit their consciences to God, when he is commanding them, these are not merely individual commands. They are corporate commands, which means God has given us the church, the body of Christ, to help us discern and test our consciences, okay? That's, that's part of the aspect of living in community. It's not being in isolation, neglecting the word of God, not appropriating the Spirit's power, and then making independent autonomous decisions. It's bringing the word, walking in the Spirit, and then submitting our decisions to God by virtue of parceling them out in community with our friends, our community group leaders, our pastors, our elders, um, people who can listen to us and say, you know, I think, I, think you, I think you're missing something here. I think when you talk about conscience, you're really talking about preference because here's what God's word has to say about this particular issue or that particular issue. And I think this is oftentimes a much missing, right, um, element in the forming of our conscience. So, so to sum, summarize here, what's the relationship of the Holy Spirit and the conscience, okay? Remember, it's not merely that the Holy Spirit is proactive and the conscience is reactive, although there, there's some truth to that. In other words, the conscience is merely responding to things. Remember, non-Christians have a conscience. It's their conscience that tells them not to murder. It's their conscience that tells them to help people. 
It's their conscience that tells them to be kind. It's their conscience that tells them to obey the law. Those are proactive things, certainly. But there is a sense, right, when, where our conscience is sort of the gatekeeper. It, it sort of waves its hand. It flags, um, flags us down, holds, a, holds a, a stop sign up or a, a yellow sign to say slow down or stop or be careful. So it is reactive in that sense. But the, but the believer has to be submitted at the most baseline level of their life to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Now, saying all that, one final question, and we're going to touch on this tomorrow. It's going to lead us right into um, this Sunday's sermon. How do you, is it possible, okay, when Paul in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, when Romans 14 talks about someone who is weak in the faith versus someone who is strong in the faith, interestingly, he's talking about conscience, and so what we want to try to understand is how do we go from weak in conscience to strong in conscience? That's where we'll pick up tomorrow morning. But for today, let me pray for you. I hope you have a great day. Lord, we want to walk obediently. Lord, we want our consciences to be formed by your word, led by your spirit, and submitted to the believers around us. And at the end of the day, we say with the Apostle Paul, even when our conscience is clear, you're our ultimate judge. You have to be the one that um, we stand before and give an account to. So give us grace as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.